Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And me, Omari Sacco for the second Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And we're coming to you from Denver. Uh, what, what hotel are we in, Omari? Uh, the Sheridan. Yeah. yeah the Sheridan. Um, yeah. Uh, Bryce made the, the trip up from Kansas. And uh, I think, what, was that like a four-hour drive? Four-and-a-half-hour uh, drive up here. Yeah. And uh, this kind of... This is, I think it's the third pod we have recorded in a hotel room. You know what's funny, Omari? I just realized this. The first pod we ever did together was actually in person. Back when this was always Motor City Hoops and out at Summer League. I know a lot of the listeners know that story, but that was... That was you came over to the hotel and we recorded in first. I think that was the first time I ever recorded in person with with anybody. But then we did three one three day last year, and yeah. then now so we've done it in Detroit, in Vegas, and now in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. So for those who've been having audio issues, ha, well, now I'm using Bryce's mic. So <laughs> yeah, we can we can bring we can blame my mic now if there's any audio issues with that. But I do want to shout out Atra. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you reached out to me in my Twitter DMs and you just wanted us to shout out all the Irish Pistons fans. So last week we were shouting out all the different countries yeah. and it was funny, right? Because Twitter was about to shut down this week. So everybody was getting out their final yeah. things. And so shout out all of our Irish Pistons fans. And again, like whatever country, whatever continent, it is really, really cool. Amari and I, Wes and I, we always talk about that. The Pistons fans all over the place. And I know Amari, you've ran into some of our listeners this last week. So it's it's really cool to see anymore. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, shout out to Andrew Cohn as well. Uh, saw you in, uh, in Los Angeles after, not after the Lakers game, but during halftime. And, uh, you know, it was just good to hear, you know, some kind words about the pod. So, uh, yeah, if you ever see me in, in public or you see Bryce in public, you know, and, and Bryce is probably a little more re- recognizable being 6'6". But, uh, yeah, shout, like, shout us out. Always happy to talk to you all and, uh, you know, talk ball or whatever else. So, uh, yeah, good. Good week for the brand, I would say. Good yeah, week for no, the brand. no doubt. We got our uh, our pictures out yeah, on social media. Our Twitter. Pictures out on social media. Uh, thanks again to David for yep. spending an hour with us downtown, and you know, in my tears because I was so cold <laughs> uh, and being patient for all that. That was great. So. Uh, yeah, you know, we've been growing and the listenership has been rock solid. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. So Omari, not the greatest news leading into this episode. I think the last time we recorded, Cade was out, yeah. but Cade was not out for, I don't want to say the season. We'll get into this, what we think is going to end up happening. Yeah. But the Pistons announced shin splints that turned into a stress fracture, a stress fracture that turned into shin splints. What what can you give our listeners? I mean, I know that it's all been reported, but can you break down just the little bit we do know straight from the team? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the Pistons haven't uh, commented on it in an official uh, capacity yet. Uh, the last we heard from the team officially um, was that he was eligible to return 
on Sunday against the Kings, which obviously didn't happen. But, you know, of course, the reporting, um, you know, I, I tweeted Saturday that um, they believe he has a, a stress fracture uh, in, his, in his left shin. And um, they're figuring out treatment options now. Uh, by the time we're recording this Monday night, you know, by the time folks listen to this on Tuesday, maybe um, some more news will come out or maybe shortly after. But um, they're just figuring out treatment options, you know, to be letting him rest. And if you allow the injury to uh, heal with rest, um, that's a little bit more of a of, of a vague timeline because it kind of just comes down to his body and and when he heals. So they would just shut him down and, you know, just wait for the leg to heal and just go from there. Uh, or more invasive, obviously, surgery, you know, which gives you a more concrete timeline and uh, under surgery, you know, for a fact that you kind of address the issue and he can heal, but that would keep him out for a much longer period of time. So uh, not not great news. I mean, I think even if he, you know, goes the rest option, I could still have him miss a pretty, you know, significant amount of time just depending on what his body, um, you know, decides to do as far as him healing and if he can get to the points where he can play. But uh, I think long story short, K is going to be out for a while. I mean, I'll be honest, Amari. Like, I feel like I'm prepping myself not to see Kate Cunningham again this season. Yeah. If it is, like, maybe he gets back and they decide that they don't want him to go a whole year without playing. So you play him 10 or 15 games in the season. But yeah. at that point, I think we all know the situation the Pistons are going to be in. And you even want to risk the possibility of some sort of other injury for, you know, no reason. So I, I just that, – that's where my mind is at as a fan – I know you have a completely different perspective, just like as a guy that covers the team. Is that how you're kind of prepping this or, you know, just literally taking it day by day? Maybe we'll know more here in the next couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking it day by day right now just because, you know, one, you know, I'm not a, a, a doctor. And even if, you know, things appear a certain way, I just like to kind of let things play out uh, before I you know, give people a reason to panic. But, um, you know, but I would say, uh, in, like, actually, the account on Twitter in, in street clothes, like, he does great work as far as just comparing injuries to other players oh, yeah, and yeah. what their recovery was. And, um, you know, and it could often be a season-ending injury uh, just based on the fact that I think even, like, Rodney McGruder, yeah. he was saying that he had uh, that stress fracture surgery. Poor Rodney Magruder in the article I read said former NBA player Rodney Magruder. I was like, no, 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 Rodney's still in the league. Not only is Rodney not still in the league, Omar, he literally plays on the same team as yeah, Kate Cunningham. Yeah, like still here. Saw him at practice today, actually. Like, I can confirm he's still on the roster. But Rodney had his surgery, like, in October, and he missed 60 games. And yeah. Like, obviously, you know, it's 82-game season, so you have it after games. I don't know when he had it, but I just know it was October, so probably no more than seven games passed. And, um, you know, so that makes sense why he was able to come back. Uh, Cade, you know, this is, he's missed the last six games. They played 18. So, you know, after like game 12 or whatever, like, yeah, I mean, if he has surgery and makes you miss 60 games, then that puts you at like game 72. And at that point, are you going to bring him back in April? And it's just, uh, yeah, you know, like I'm not, I'm not reporting he's going to miss a season or anything. I'm just saying, you know, it's a situation where he's going to miss a lot of time. Yeah. And, um, that's not what you want to see, you know, for a second season. Uh, you know, just, I mean, just not a great situation overall, obviously. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's something he's dealing with and the team's going to figure out the best way to treat it and they'll go from there. So I do have a question, Omari, because 
did this go all the way back to last season? Like, I feel like I don't want to say there's mixed reports, but I don't know that there's firm reporting. And so a lot of the fan base is like, did this go all the way back to last season, carry over into the off season, yeah. into the preseason, and then just all of a sudden flare up really bad? Because I know some fans are like, well, if it was bothering him last season, why did they yeah. fix it over the off season? That type of thing. And again, I know you're not a doctor, but yeah. can you speak to that just a little bit with this injury and the whole situation around it? Yeah, I don't think the soreness is new. Uh, you know, I guess what's unclear uh, to me, at least, is you know, was a, a, a stress fracture always the cause yeah, of yeah. soreness? Because it could have just been it was sore, and then the stress fracture occurred at a later date. So, you know, I would like, like I know, like I saw people on Twitter saying Pistons mishandled it, this and that. Like I don't, I don't think they mishandled it. Like I think the nature of a stress fracture is it's a, a use injury, right? You yeah. play on it, you use it, and you know, sometimes your body breaks down a little bit. You know, I don't. You know, I highly doubt they would have had him, you know, going through everything he went through, you know, if he was playing on like a, a stress fracture this whole time. And uh, I believe it's actually a, a hairline fracture, which, you know, of course, um, isn't always obvious, right? Yeah. Like even like this week, we've seen Kate, you know, like in, uh, like not practicing, but like getting shots. Say so he was warming up before the yeah, Kings game, like right? He was like warming up before the Kings game, like he was getting some shots up today. So, you know, he's still walking around and whatnot. It's just. Uh, just kind of, like kind of reading between the lines, it seems like the situation where, like, if it was like me, like I'd probably be like, like you know, like I'm not a professional basketball player, so I just let it heal on the song. Like I'm not yeah. doing anything too intense, but when you're doing that level, you know, it's a little bit of a different thing, and you know, you keep playing on I mean, it, it could get worse, obviously. So it just kind of got to that point. But uh, the soreness isn't new, whether or not the the stress fracture is new. Uh, you know, that's something Kane and his doctor knows, I guess. Yeah, and that's what like I, I do want to say like it does make me wonder about how this affected his play and the yeah. fact he was putting up the numbers he was yeah. playing through the pain. Cause obviously he had pain. Cause I remember going back to like the first game mm-hmm. they showed the bench and he had the wrap on it already game one of the season. Yeah. And I remember kind of like in hindsight now thinking back, like I remember thinking in the moment, man, that's kind of weird already for game one. And then right. now in hindsight, it makes sense, but right. it also makes sense why his three point shot was a struggle at times. Yeah. And I remember people were in my DMS going like, are we sure this was good that Kay put on extra weight? He looks kind of slow. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, if he didn't look quite as explosive, now we kind of have a reason why. Yeah. And so he was putting up great numbers while playing through pain. And I know NBA players are always playing through something. But I think it could explain some of the three-point shooting inefficiency, but also just impressive that he was able to do what he was through this injury. No doubt. So, you know, like, let's say we just assume he's going to have surgery uh, because, like, that is obviously on the, the table. And I think I ultimately could prove to be the best option where the team just says, let's not play around with this. Let's put him under the knife. Let's get it fixed. He can heal. You know, this season is probably a wash. So, you know, let's just get him right. And then we can move on and look forward to next season. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it could just be a, a situation where, you know, he's been dealing with soreness for a while, but I mean, a lot of people are so like, I woke up with <laughs> collarbones for this the other week, you know, like I didn't think I had a broken collarbone. But uh, yeah, again, I, I think some of the timeline stuff is, is, is fuzzy, but they have a handle on what they believe it is now. And um, yeah, you know, again, just unfortunate. But I think now the team knows what it is and now they can actually have a course of action. Uh, you know, I'm not comparing them to this player, but Michael Jordan misses his sophomore season or most of it, right? Like, yeah. You know, players get hurt. Like, it is what it is. It's, you know, it's not a knee. You know, like, it's an injury you could come back from. And, uh, you know, from a fan standpoint, 
and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, there's a, a season where Kate has to get hurt. You know, that's probably a good one. Looking at next year's drafts <laughs> and everything else, like there's – in the end, it could end up being fine. So yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Let, let's talk about the fallout from that. Let's. Yeah. There's a bunch of different perspectives here and angles, and I think the first one is for Jaden Ivey and Killian Hayes. And the thing is, both of these guys have been playing well. Killian is playing the best ball of his I, I feel very confident to say that Killian Hayes is on the best seven, eight-game stretch of his entire career, scoring the basketball – the defense has been there. He's been aggressive. Even when he isn't making shots, he's at least being aggressive and being confident. Jaden Ivey has been playing well. And I do think the silver lining in all of this, Omari, is we're going to get a lot of Jaden Ivey playing on-ball creator, and we're going to get a lot of Killian Hayes minutes. We're going to find out a lot about those two guys this season. Yeah, we are. Uh, you know, I think uh, the current run Killian is on started a little bit before Cade went out, but obviously top, times well. Um, we talked about the confidence issues he was having, like Dwayne talked about the confidence issues. And he is, he's, seems like he's gotten over a lot of that. Like sometimes you just got to see some shots fall, right? Yeah. And he's been hitting, you know, he's been shooting the ball well. Like he's been shooting the ball really well on like decent volume, like three attempts a game. Uh, I know he was at like 39% from three. And then I think he hit two last night. So now he's probably got about 40, 41. Uh, I didn't check after last night's game, but, you know, long story short, he's starting to look like a credible three-point threat, and we talk about it a lot, but the line for Killian to go from a mediocre offensive player to a passable offensive player is not that big of a line, right? Like, just yep. knock down threes reliably, and you're pretty much there because the defense is already there, and the passing is already there, and if you can knock down threes, well, now you're basically a 3 point guard, you know, yep. which... Yeah, maybe some fans thought he was going to be Manu Ginobili or whatever, but, you know, I think he could be a very productive role-playing guard if he continues to shoot the ball the way he should get down. Even if he dips down to, like, 36%, I think that's good enough, right? Like, if, if, he, if, he, if he can become, like, a reliable 36 37% shooter, that's a massive improvement, and I think you would have no issues playing him in most lineups. Well, and he's he's been shooting it good from the mid-range, too, Amari. And so, like, I know people are like, oh, he's got to get to the rim. He's got to get to the – well, Killing Hayes is also a flawed basketball player. Yeah. I think we'd agree on that. So yeah. he's not the worst player in the NBA, but he's also not a perfect NBA player. No. If Killing Hayes is a two-level scorer from three in the yeah. mid-range – good passer and a defender like are you kidding me that's yeah. that ends up being actually being decent value even for the number seven pick yeah. you know and i think we have to remove that label from him anyway yeah. but yes it would be nice if he could get to the rim more but if he if he gets confidence in that mid-range pull-up along with the three that's all of a sudden a really nice offensive game yeah. for him that's uh, you know and there's some you know good nba guards who do not finish out the run yeah. like the high clip like that's not uh, uh, a death sentence for a point guard. Like, I don't think Fred Van Fleet's ever been, like, a great at-the-rim finisher. And he's, like, my height, so I'm sure that's the reason why. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but he can really shoot the ball. He can defend. He can move it. And he's a starting point guard for a good rap Raptors team. So, again, I think, um, you know, we talk about him just having to pick one lane to be good at. But really the most important lane, I think, is just knocking out threes. Yep. And if he can do that reliably, then I think you can play him in, in pretty much any lineup. You play him next to Cade, next to Jaden. Like, there really isn't any, you know, downsides to that. There's a lot of overlap between Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart to me because the three-point shot being the X factor, because they are they bring so much versatility defensively, and then that three-point shot allows them to be versatile offensively in the lineups you play them with. And so let's talk about Jaden Ivey. What, what do you think this does for Jaden Ivey? I think there's a negative in that. I mean, Jaden's going to be asked to handle the basketball a lot the rest yeah. of this season, and there may be some bad stretches, Amari, where he turns the ball over a lot or just is making poor decisions. But I also think it's going to be good for the evaluation of Jaden Ivey. We've talked about on this podcast that maybe he's not a true lead guard. 
well, he's going to play a lot of true lead guard this year. We're going to find out how much potential he has to do that in the NBA. It's going to be the Jaden Ivey show, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, he's going to get a, a lot of minutes. He's already gotten a lot of minutes, so it won't be a big change in that standpoint. Uh, you know, I think, you know, in a sense, it's, it'll be interesting because, you know, a big talking point when he got drafted by the Pistons was his point guard skills were a weakness in college, and now he's on a team where he's not going to be relied upon as the main point guard. You know, he can kind of pick his spots. And Cade will handle most of the playmaking. And now we're in a scenario where, you know, he may have to play most of the season without Cade. So uh, the Pistons are going to need him to be that type of playmaker, um, which the playmaking has been good, hasn't been great, but it's been good. He's yeah. on the floor. He can make, you know, passes and whatnot. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, like whatever number he's been putting up, like I'm sure he'll continue to try to put him up. Uh, you know, his efficiency has kind of been up and down the course <laughs> of the season. Like, you know, we've kind of seen him go through some of those rookie pains, but uh, he's going to have as much – time and space as he needs to figure it out and you know if there's a silver lining i think just him and killian um you know kind of taking over the reins from k like this could be a big year of growth for them which get up the pisses down the road yeah what about the rest of this season just in general what does it mean for some other guys what's it mean for a guy like boyan bogdanovich who got the extension i think when he got the extension a lot of the fan base you know there was still talk like hey you can still trade him this maybe makes him more tradable because he signed on for another year now and then you have the non-guaranteed year uh in, in the final year of that contract do you think it makes those guys more expendable maybe it makes them less expendable because you don't want to just completely go young Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, I don't know that it changes a lot for him. What what does what does the rest of this season look like in your opinion now that Cade Cunningham is out? And, and we haven't even talked about yet the, the injuries to Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bey is no longer even on this road trip. They sent him back to Detroit. So um, the rest of this West Coast swing is going to be really tough for the Pistons. Yeah. Well, you know, Troy Weaver, <laughs> that media day said we want to compete every night. And yeah, the injury bug said, absolutely not. Like, that's <laughs> not going to happen. You know, you're not going to have a, a healthy roster for, for most of the season. Um, and just timing-wise, it's just like Burks was out, Noel was out, Bagley was out. Those guys come back. And now, uh, you know, your 2020 and 2021 draft picks are getting hurt. So it's just been a revolving door of injuries. But I think broadly, it, it certainly, like whatever the best-case scenario for the season was, like that's not the case anymore. And this is very clearly going to be, uh, a lottery team and probably not that much better than they were last year when they won 23 games, right? Like, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that unless Ivy makes a big leap, unless uh, Killian makes a big leap and you just get big contributions from some of the other guys, Sadiq, whatnot, maybe that can save the season somewhat, but the something for this team and the floor for this team, like, just lower across the board. So the extent that that impacts the front office office's decisions on certain guys, I think it's probably too early to say. You know, I think some some of those things will kind of crystallize as we get closer to the trade deadline. But I think the reality is that um, even if everybody's hurt, you can still have a really solid core of players here. Um, you know, Bogdanovic is under contract. So even if you don't move him in February, if you're going to move him down the road, you can, but yep. you don't have to, right? Um, you know, Burks, Noel, those guys still have team options next summer. So you can still part ways with them have access to that cap space if you want it. Uh, I think long term the goals of the of this team have not changed right like yeah. whatever you want to accomplish down the road you can still do that it's just this season uh maybe it crystallizes a lot sooner that we are a lottery team we're not making the play and we're not even going to come close to the play in and yeah like you have some carrots at the end of the state <laughs> you know and, and Wimby and Scoot and some of the other guys and 
uh, it's just a lot more obvious that the season is not going to be the leap forward that I think a lot of fans probably, and you know, even some people with the team probably would have wanted to see this season. Yeah, I mean, I think the fans, the team, people, NBA at large, were talking about the Pistons as a yeah. play-in team, and we'll talk about those expectations here in just a little bit, Amari. And I just want to reiterate. We haven't seen the 10-man rotation, what we would assume would be the 10-man rotation. We haven't seen it a single game this season. And we won't now, right, with Kate out. They went to the Stu Bagley big man lineup for one game, and they got to play, what, 12 minutes or something like that? And then Stu got hurt. So the the injury bug, and everybody's like, well, every team gets injured. Well, the Pistons are already at a disadvantage because they were young and not super talented. And then you start taking away the best player and the third best player and another starter and the bench unit. Like, it just – it just continued to snowball and we've never, it it is kind of disappointing. We never are going to get to see this team. It would have been interesting to see them even for a 15 or 20 game stretch, see that 10 man rotation. How good could those starters have been? How good could that second unit have been together? Yeah. You know, it's just tough. This is a a team I think on paper, like again, like we talked before the season and I don't think we ever necessarily saw the play in as a, Realistic, like I mean, it's a realistic goal, but yeah. you're gonna need a lot of help for the teams in front of you. Agreed. I think just because I think every team in the East, except like the Pistons and the Magic, the, the Magic have at least one proven All Star, and yeah. the teams don't. So you have to see leaps from certain guys to get to that point. But also, I'll play some of the teams that have already made that leap, and because of that, I just don't think either of us saw like maybe higher than a 13th place finish. Yep. So. Yeah, like now that's probably going to be a lot more obvious that they're not going to finish higher than that. But even the best case scenario for this team, I think probably was not as high as maybe some expectations were set by Troy saying, you know, we're, you know, at ground zero and this and that. Like, all, like, all that can be true. You can compete every night. Maybe your net rating is, you know, minus point, <laughs> 0.1. But regardless, I just don't know if the wins were going to be there. So, uh, yeah, like to have this conversation in November instead of, you know, March or February <laughs> and whenever it seems clearly outside of the race is I probably didn't guess that two months ago. But we're here and, you know, the season has kind of reshaped a bit and you just go from there. So what, what does this mean for the state of the restoration as a whole? I did a Twitter spaces the other day and this question got brought up, like, does this set the, the restoration back a year? And I'll just give my quick answer. Amaris. I don't think it does. In all honesty, it may actually speed the restoration up. And I know we don't want to get into this yet, but if you draft Victor Wimbenyama, all of a sudden you come back next year with a healthy Cade and a Victor who's going to be ready to contribute in the NBA day one because he's been playing professional. Even if it's Scoot, and I know we don't got to get into these conversations, there's fit concerns with Scoot for some of the fan base, but he's been playing professional for two years now. And I realize it's the G League, but it's still professional basketball. And so I don't think, at the very least, I don't think it changes the timetable at all. You could have a top one or top two pick in a generational guy in Wimby, and then you also have all this cap space. Now, it depends on what you're actually able to do with that cap space, but I don't think it changes the goals for next season and the Pistons probably trying to truly be competitive and maybe make that jump into the playing game. I don't think this injury changes that whatsoever. No, I don't think so either. Um, maybe just from a watching K develop chemistry. Sure. With young teammates okay, that's good. Yeah. hurts a little bit. But I think um, even if you just get like the third or fourth or fifth pick in this draft, just add another guy. Because I think this draft is just like the top, you know, six. I think it's like really like pretty strong overall. You know, even if you just get another top five or six pick, I think that helps a lot. I think Ivy having the reins, you know, I think Killian having the reins, I think especially for Killian being in year three, 
and he'll be extension eligible next offseason. And, you know, maybe he goes to restricted free agency in 2024. You get a lot more information on him being a starter than you do with him coming off the bench playing 17 minutes a night. And eventually when you make those judgment calls down the road, you have a lot more information, which I think helps. And, yeah, again, like, I don't think this delays the restoration or anything. Like, I think we know who Kate is to an extent. Yep. Uh, maybe haven't seen, the, you know, the, the peak version of him yet, but it's year two. I mean, Wolf Tatum doing the second year. Like, he wasn't Tatum. You know, it's normal for guys to kind of, you know, take a while to kind of get to the point to where they're like a, a, a superstar level. Uh, you know, and we've seen, you know, star players weather injuries early in, in their careers too. So this isn't like ACL or an Achilles or anything where you've got genuine concerns about the longevity of their career. Uh, overall, I don't think this really hurts the restoration. It just hurts maybe the watchability of this team for a lot of fans. Well, let's talk about that, Amari. Yeah. After this short break, we brought up the expectations coming into the season. We've talked about the injuries. We've talked about the watchability. You just brought it up. After this break, we're going to talk about that and where that should be and what's fair to judge the players, the coaches, and everybody else in the organization through the rest of this season. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back here with segment two. And I did want, we're going to talk about some of the players, but I did want to get into this first because it, it feels like <laughs> Sunday was sort of a turning point for a lot of people where it was like, oh, this team actually is not good. And maybe I'm at the end of my rope as far as like how much of this I can like watch, which like, okay, like this team won 20 games two years ago. They won 23 games last year. Uh, they won probably around 20 the year before, but that was before I covered them. So, you know, I can't. Recording number. That was before like, I was here too, yeah, Amari. We yeah. came in about the same yeah. time, so yeah. yeah, that was the the, the Christian Wood year. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, but this team's been bad, you know, for a few years, and I think, you know, from a fan standpoint, watching a bad team multiple years in a row, and you know, this year, and like, okay, it's year two for K. We got some young guys, and this team couldn't make a leap, and now it's very clear, less than twenty games to the year, that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, like, I understand why there would be some palpable frustration. But it also kind of surprised me that you don't have Cade, you don't have Sadiq, you don't have Isaiah, and his Kings team is actually good. And They've won five in a row coming into the know, game and scoring all sorts of points. Yeah, and they were at home. Yeah. Like, really, that game should have been as close as it was. No. And I guess it was, it was surprising to me that that was the breaking point for a lot of people because to me, I'm, I'm going into that game and I'm like, I mean, on paper, like, you know, Pistons, Pistons, three of the top five guys probably shouldn't even be in this. Omari, three minutes into the game, I almost wrote in the notes that they're going to get blown out. Like, it yeah. just had the vibe that this team was in shell shock from Cade and this yeah. Kings team was going to score the ball and they weren't even going to be close. Yeah, and they competed. I mean, Jay yeah. Bobby was our leading scorer. And he had his best game in like a week and a half, two weeks. Uh, you know, Killian was good. Uh, you know, he got some good 
you know, minutes from Dern. Dern, yeah. Uh, you know, who had like, I think he had eight and 12 or something along the lines of that. Uh, just, you know, you see enough. I mean, Burks had a great game. Like, I thought that was a really good game from a this team can compete standpoint. You know, like, even if you still lost, I thought that that was kind of the an example of kind of like the like quote unquote perfect loss where yeah. it's like exciting and whatnot. <laughs> And I was, yeah, I was I, like, I was just really surprised that people were so upset after because I was like, I mean, you know, if you want the scene to get Wimby, like, is that not like the best case scenario? Like, that's what you should be ready for. You, you had know? a high scoring yeah. game where yeah. the piston shot 53% from the field, 52% from three. Then it turned the ball over a lot yeah. and then like just had a tough loss at the end. And my thing is like, we always talk about moving the goalposts is, okay, we knew this team, as soon as Cade got hurt, everybody's like, oh, they're only going to win 15 games this year. Yeah. And then you go play a good Kings team on the road in the middle of a West Coast road trip yeah. without three starters. And then all of a sudden you expect them to pull out a tough road win. Like, I just, I'm not saying there weren't mistakes made. I'm not saying there weren't mistakes made yeah. by Dwayne Casey. I'm not saying there weren't mistakes made by the players because there definitely were on both. Like we could get into the weeds on all that stuff, Amari. There's a turnover by Boyan that I think led, truly led to a lot of this when the Pistons really had a lot of momentum. There's things with Coach Casey. I'd love to see some more, you know, offensive creativity. But at the end of the day, like the team wasn't very good coming into the season. They're missing three starters. I mean, if you want to say Bay was no longer a starter, that's fine. Two starters and your sixth man. And you had a heck of a game, yeah. and then you just lost it in crunch time. And that's what bad teams do, Amari. Bad teams lose games in crunch time. Yeah. And the Kings right now aren't a bad team, and they found a way to win. They have the best player on the floor. Like Sabonis. They have the two best players on the floor. I, was gonna, I, I didn't know what, like, Sabonis and Fox yeah. are better than anybody the Pistons have right yeah. now. That's where the Pistons are at a negative. Every When they played the Celtics when I was out there. Jalen Brown didn't play, right? Yeah. They still have freaking Jake and Jason Tatum. Like, yeah. they still have the best player on the floor yeah. by a wide margin. And that's every single night, especially yeah. now with Kate out. Yeah, I think it's just, it is, it's not about the tough conversation that the Pistons are not good. And I think people in general kind of like the idea of rebuilds more than the actuality of it. Like, it's fun during the offseason when you have cap space and you have draft picks, high draft picks, you kind of sell potential. I think people like the idea of potential, like the idea of overcoming this hump and like getting better. And that's kind of what a lot of fandom is built on, like kind of like going on this journey with a team. And, you know, sometimes you get excited for like a book or a movie and it's been hyped up for a while. And then you read the book, you watch the movie and it's like, oh, actually it's, this stinks, right? This, <laughs> like this stinks. Like yep. whatever I thought it was going to be, like this stinks. Uh, I'm mad I was excited for it, yada, yada. And I get that. And I would just say, I think there is, I think for fans, sometimes there's a disconnect as far as like, what is the best decision for the team? What's the best decision for the fandom, right? Like I was going back and forth with a fan last week about Killian. They were like, and I, I was just picking on that fan. I've seen it from enough people. I don't quote tweet things unless, one, it's so absurd that I just have to put it out there so everybody can dunk on it, which I try not to do because I don't think dunking on people helps them become better people. But that's a completely different discussion. I did it the other day, too, and I yeah. immediately felt bad. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like, I really try hard not to, but some days I'm just on Twitter too much. So whoever that was, I apologize, even though you did say something. Sincere else. apology from both yeah. co-hosts of the Pistons Pulse to anybody we've dunked on on Twitter. Yeah. Even though sometimes y'all say some wise. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but I think that sometimes people get into like the fallacy of, I'm a fan, I want to watch something good, yep. and the team isn't providing that, therefore something must be done. And sometimes, and I think when they say it to, you know, like a beat writer like myself who 
I'm, you know, they kind of see me as like the bridge between the fandom and the team. And I'm like, actually, don't have to do anything. Like, sometimes you just suck, and that's just how it goes. They kind of see it as like not holding the team accountable yeah. for being bad. So, like, I get it. I would just say that nothing in the NBA is linear. Like, whatever you expect, like, it, things that don't happen the way you expect a lot of times. Like, I got a proper example with the Grizzlies. Like, they were 12 and 5, and I covered them, and they were talking about, you know, uh, we're going to set the tone with defense, all this stuff. They saw Mike Conley and Marcus Saul and that Jaron Jackson, that was his, friend, his, uh, his rookie year, year before they got Ja. And everybody in Memphis is like, oh, Britton Grind is still alive. Like, all right, like, this is awesome. And, like, by the end of the year, Jamie Bickerstaff got fired. Um, Marcus Saul was traded. They traded Mike that next summer. And the team ended up being pretty bad. And, you know, kind of what I've learned from covering the NBA is one thing changes very fast. So you can't really put too much stock into individual games or even individual weeks. And you kind of have to look at things. To me, I like to look at things at 15 to 20 game sample sizes, right? Like, that gives you an example of where the team's at. But two, you know, sometimes things just don't work out and it's nobody's fault. You know, like for the Kings game, um, you know, like some bonus gets two offensive rebounds toward the end. Uh, the first one is because Marvin Bagley switched one to one. No, Marvin Bagley switched, switched one to off De'Aaron the, Fox. Yeah. And he was, you know, at the top of the key. And, and Killian mistimed his jump, Omari. Killian just mistimed his jump. So, you know, people were saying, well, it's Dwayne's fault because he, put put, he should have put Jalen Duran in there. Uh, so people didn't like when I pointed out that I. Bagley was actually the right trace in that scenario, but it would have been the same thing with Dern. He would have been on De'Aaron Fox. They would have run the same action. It would have been the same result. It's a bonus. It's also just a really good rebounder. The second one was like, I think Herder missed a three long rebound and Sabonis they, they had, down. Yeah, they had doubled Sabonis. Yeah. And so they were in rotation. Burks was on him because of a switch. Right. And, and here's the other thing I want to make a quick point of why every time they switch isn't the scheme. Sometimes yeah. they switch because they're in drop and the guard doesn't get over the screen yeah. and then they have no choice but to switch. Yeah. But Burks didn't really get a good box out. Jay Nivey was at half court after contesting the herder three, yeah. didn't come back in and get involved. No. So like we all want to put it on case. Oh, they shouldn't have switched or Duran should have been in. Well, when do we hold the players accountable yeah. also? Yeah. And I think the solution in that scenario would have been to have two bigs on the floor. The way you talk about two bigs, so you have Isaiah Stewart and you have one of Bagley or Durant. Now you have two big bodies and one of those guys can shoot, so you're fixing a lot of issues, but they don't have that. Yep. So, uh, you know, so sometimes it's just, you know, like it just is what it is. Like, you know, they didn't make the plays, but it didn't matter who you put out there. The reality is that they're short. A lot of guys would have made a difference in that scenario. And, yeah, sometimes it, it you you just lose, you know, or even with Killian. You know, sometimes, you know, you drop, you use a pick on a guy and he's coming along slowly. And that doesn't mean you cut him because, you know, as a fan, you don't like watching them. Like, it's better not like watching the player. But as a team, you selected this player and you owe it to the player. You owe it to yourself as a front office to help him succeed because he's still in a contract, you know, for two more years. Well, about this season and next season. And either you're going to pay him at some point or you're not, but you need to have information. And I just think a lot of times, because we should move on from this and start talking about some of the players, but I think a lot of times fans kind of see – their frustration as a justification for dramatic things to happen. And sometimes it's just like, you just got to let things play out. And as a beat writer, I try to just stay the level and just let things play out. You know, Killian either becomes a good player or he's continues to struggle to shoot, right? Uh, the Pistons either get healthy or you continue to have to pick between Bagley and Duran at the end of the game. And Bagley can score, but he has weaknesses as a, a, a defender. And Duran is 19 years old and he's going to make mistakes. And it's just, you know, sometimes you're limited to your person now. All coaches are. And it just is what it is, you know? So, yeah, I mean, you know, people have issues with Dwayne and they always always had and always will. But in that scenario, just, you know what? 
<laughs> they just lost that game because the Kings were a better team, and that's how it was. Well, that's we, how that we, we talked about this. The lineups are limited, right? Yeah. Like you, everybody wants to get the de- the rebounding lineup in the game yeah. whenever they lose because they gave up offensive rebounds. Right. But if they would have lost because they couldn't score the basketball, everybody would have wanted the scoring lineup. And I, I just want to make one more quick point. And I agree with you. Let's let this play out because they did bring a new defensive scheme, Amari. And so I'm being patient, even though I've called it out and highlighted and wrote articles on the scheme and where they're not doing it effectively. But let's give these rookies and this 19-year-old Jalen Duran a whole season to see if they can figure out. Now, if in game 80, these guys still are making the same mistakes, now we got to figure out who to point the fingers at. Like, why did the players not get better? Did the coaches not coach it the right way like and th- those are answers we may not have we don't get to watch practice you don't even get to like watch an entire practice no, and no. and that part of it but you're right let's move on let's let's talk the marvin bagley versus jalen duran and what where do you think duran is at what he has shown marvin bagley may have had his best game on sunday like for all the critiques about oh he doesn't rebound and the end of that game i thought he had one of his better games do you think they should or will keep starting Bagley? Should they start Duran? What can they do with that big man rotation? Yeah, it's just tough because the only way you can really play them together is if one of them shoots. It's not going to be Duran. Bagley is probably the slightly better shooter of the two. But I explained about it the other week, and he said we don't necessarily want. Uh, I actually asked him in L.A. last week, and he said we actually don't want Bagley to shoot either. Okay. We want him to stay to what he's good at, you know, which is rebounding, putbacks. You know, he's got – you know, just great touch around the rim from mid-range a little bit, keep doing those things. And because of that, we've seen those two players mostly staggered. Like, we'll probably still see two big here and there, just depending on the scenario, but you can't really do it the same way you can with Isaiah. So I guess the question for me is, eventually do they start to prioritize just developing Duran? Because he does have vastly more upside defensively and clearly he is NBA ready in other areas like, you know, rebounding. He's already a plus plus rebounder in a lot of ways, uh, better offensively than defensively, actually. Uh, but the same kind of, like I think these left and uh, just whether it's, you know, rolling or, you know, putbacks or whatever, he can already do all those things. So, you know, athletically he translates. Now let's, you know, give him a chance to really learn how to be a good NBA defender. And I think there's a line there they have to kind of toe. Because it doesn't make sense to have him pick up three fouls and you know the first quarter against Anthony Davis, right? There's just some matchups that he's going to struggle with. But I guess to me, uh, that battle is more so. We know what Bagley is. We know what he, what he gives us. And we have to play him because we need that scoring. We need that rebounding and that size. But do they come to a point where they say, Jalen Duran is, you know, we love this kid. We got him top five on our draft board. We're going to prioritize giving him reps. Like, let's say we put him in at the end of that Kings game, you know, on Sunday. Maybe it's just, we don't know if it's going to make a difference, but he'll get that late game yeah. experience that helps. And I think if that's the argument for him playing late, then I'd like that argument because that does make more sense than I think just expecting him to get a rebound that he was not. <laughs> well, and I, I don't know that this really matters for the starting or not, Amari, but th- there's a conditioning question with Jalen Barron as well. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying he doesn't work hard. We may have talked about this on the pod mm-hmm. already, but some people are just, 
can get in better condition than other people's. Like there's some innate genetic natural, and he's a large human being that's yeah. only 19 years old. Yeah. And so it may not be easy for him to get in shape, but between yeah. foul trouble and being able to play, like I think a lot of times people want to see him play 34 minutes. He's never played 34 minutes in his life. He, yeah. I think I looked the other day in college, he made like had six games where he played 30 plus minutes and averaged 25. So he's just not going to play those many minutes, especially when you're playing an 82 game schedule. Yeah. So I just, I'm excited and I will admit like he has already been better than what I even thought. I was super high on his long-term upside. He's been more effective on an NBA floor than what I even thought. Now there, there are some flaws at times. And as long as they're getting, we saw the short roll passing on Sunday, which I love. And as long as he continues to get some of that usage, then I'm all about him playing. And I'm, I would love to see him and Stu start the final 20 games of the year because I think that could be the front court of the future for this Pistons team. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think he's very obviously talented. Um, like I did the story with Rashard Lewis uh, the week before last that I talked to him about, you know, Jalen. And, uh, you know, there's just like a lot of rookie stuff he has to go through. And he's also the youngest guy in the NBA, so I think it's a little bit more uh, – Excavated for him, maybe compared to a guy who comes in at like, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. Uh, but, you know, Rashard was just like, all right, son, I'm like, you know, use the ice baths. Use the ice baths after <laughs> the games. You might feel fine, but you play a lot of basketball by January. You were to tell me that I wish I'd be good doing this sooner. And it's just stuff like that I think he has to learn as the season goes on, like the conditioning. Like you mentioned, he had not played that many minutes before. Uh, you know, guys think they're in shape, and then they start playing three, four games a week, and you're traveling, and you're sleeping a lot of hours, and then you're like, oh, actually, this is a lot of basketball. And maybe I can't, you know, maybe I'm not in good condition. It's a whole different level of conditioning. And I think he's probably got a little bit better since the start of the season just from playing. But, again, it's probably never level he can get to. It's probably a reason why. We've kind of seen him capped at 25 minutes most nights because they're trying to save him for the next guy. That's a good point, Amari. I remember this obviously completely different level, so I'm not trying to make the comparison, everybody. But when I went from Juco basketball where you got Christmas break off, you got your summers off, you got the fall and spring, you were doing stuff but not quite as intense. The scattering wasn't as intense. The weightlifting wasn't as intense. And then I thought I loved basketball. I didn't think I did love basketball. But then I went Division One, and it was like it tested me that first yeah. year. It was a lot because I was up there in the summer working out, training. In the fall, we're doing workouts and running and lifting and all that stuff. Then the season starts, and like – it's seven days a week and yeah. they got you in study hall. And believe it or not, I really did go to class. Yeah. I, I was at American university. So we definitely went to class there, yeah. but it became a lot. And I remember there was like in a point where it wasn't even like physically, like emotionally or mentally. And I was the guy that lived and breathed basketball Amari. And I wasn't doing a whole lot of extracurriculars. Like I was just, I was pretty focused, but even for someone like me, I was like, man, this is a lot. And then you come back and you figure it out and it's not as much, but for these rookies, for Jalen, for, for Jaden Ivey's going to go through this at some point. If he doesn't, it's going to be incredible, especially with the weight that's going to be put on him now. But it's a transition from playing, what, 35 games in college and playing two games a week and not traveling as much to what these guys are doing now. So I don't know that it's bad to limit these Jalen Duran minutes especially and let him just kind of work his way into this thing. No, I don't think it's bad at all. Um, even just from covering the league for a few years, like, you know, I grew up, you know, like, born and raised in Detroit, I watched the Pistons and all that. Uh, you know, it's one thing to, like, watch 82 games on TV and you're not really <laughs> thinking about, like, what their life is like, but not following them around on the road and at home and everything else. You're going to practice every other day. And, 
Um, our tribe is a little bit different because, you know, they're flying private, we're flying commercial, so we have to jump through more hoops. But even so, uh, just the physical toe is, like, insane. And you realize, like, it's like you kind of hear about guys who didn't love basketball and they it didn't work out because they didn't love it or yada, yada. And you kind of think, well, if you're making millions of dollars to do it, like, how much do you need to love it? And some guys can compartmentalize and say, all right, like, you know, it's very lucrative, so even if I don't love it, I can still power through and do it. But like I said, it's a lot of basketball. <laughs> and if you are spending time doing something <laughs> that you don't like as much as they're doing it, then that's going to wear you down. And, yeah, it, it makes a lot more sense. So, yep. yeah, like, that's why they, you know, they scout guys so so thoroughly and ask questions and stuff because they understand, like, you really have to be committed to this. And there's a lot of stuff Jalen Duran's learning now that you just don't necessarily know until you go through it for the first time. You know, he's played when he missed, like, a game or two. So this is, like, it's like 15, 16, 16 games, games in. Um, you know, he's still got, you know, 60, 65 games in front of him. <laughs> it's a long season. He's played three or four a week. Yeah, I think it makes complete sense that they're not just – putting them out there to die basically and when we talk about that you think about the teams that make these deep playoff runs and then they play you know if it's an olympics year or euro basket or whatever and you think about when they talk about those guys coming back in those kind of off seasons you understand why it just one thing runs into the next and they don't truly get those but we got to go to a quick short break and then amari we're bringing wes on we're gonna do some sheet or sham here we're gonna have a lot of fun here for the final 15 or 20 minutes all right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food, arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're back with segment three, and we're going to bring in our guy, Wes Davenport, uh, for a game of Sheed or Shaft. Um, hey, me and Bryce are in the same room, so if there was any accusations or wonderment of you know there being any home cooking, nah, you know Bryce can see that I don't have any cards up my sleeve. Oh, you know, hey, nothing. Oh, uh, is supper? Is this is supper on the line for for the game tonight? Uh, well, here's the thing: like I'm on the you know like I I have a. I'm on a company dime when I'm traveling, so I would okay. not, so I would not make you pay for my <laughs> for my food, but the free press is going to pay for it. But we could make some every sort of gen- like gentleman's agreement, I think. Okay, perfect. So, All right, Wes, let's go. Two little disclaimers on this one. So the first one is just due to my schedule. Uh, these are all before the Kings game, so if some of them are outdated, that's on me, and I'm sorry. Um, second is the last two times we played this, we actually you guys tied. Uh, so the first question. Is going to count for for two wins, and Omari's still up one to nothing. So who wants the question first? I'll go first. Why not? All right, Omari's going to go first. Omari, you're going first. All right. So Omari, Sheed or Sham, 
Jaden Ivey leads the team in minutes per game. He's thinking really hard on this one. And he can't cheat. This is the best part about this. Well, I've never cheated. Yeah, that's a lie. I've you can, you can hear him, you can hear him clicking on his, on his never, computer. So cheated. he I've can't do cheated. it here. His phone's across the room. I've never Jay, cheated. I have access. I have control of the, of the MacBook we are recording on. So Mari cannot cheated. cheat. I deny this accusation. I have never cheated. I am, I am a very fair person. I would never do that. Uh, see, this is one of the ones where it's like, if it's a question, then that leads me to think that, you know, it must be true. But I'm going to go Sham. I'm going to go Sham. I think it's Sheed, so I will I will, I will go Sheed. It's Sham. He's what? second. He's behind Cade. Thank you. I was like, there's no way he's playing for a minute Cade. I was, my logic for Sham well, he's, he's getting 32. Uh, Cade's at 33, or was. Yes, I'm like, because they're splitting minutes. At the one and two with Cade, Killian, and Jaden. I was just like, there is no way Jaden's number one. Okay, so Omari, uh, because you got that one right, that means so far on the year, you are up three to nothing in Cheater Champ. That is ridiculous. You know what's sad? I wasn't even thinking about Cade. Like, I've already removed Cade from my mind for the yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. That I was like, the only other person I thought of was Boyan. <laughs> That's going to count like two wins for me. Because, it, it did. Yeah, but it, it, it did. But like, we're in the same room. So, like, there could be no accusations of, you know, cheating or home cooking. Like, this is just going to be a. He didn't even know thing. the answer. You just go based off the question he asked and the context in which he asked it and try to outthink him. Like, I was a good test taker growing up, so you kind of have to read between the lines sometimes. That's how. Next question. But it's much of a change. Next question. I'm going to have to change up my strategy on these now. I think Lamar might be figuring me out too much. All right. Well, well, Bryce, you first then. Uh, So, Sheed or Sham, Bojan has the most free throw attempts on the team this season. Sham. I'm also going Sham. Sheed. It's true. Mm -hmm. Oh, Stop. Wow. So, and again, so this is pre-Kings game, but he had 78 free throw attempts. Sadiq was second. He had 73. Stu was actually third, 65. And then Ivy, fourth at 63. I would have guessed Isaiah was number one. Yeah, I knew Stu had been getting to the free throw line a ton. And this team, we've talked about it, Omari. This team is getting to the free throw line at an incredible rate. Like, I don't know what the history of bad teams yeah. getting to the free throw line as much as the Pistons are, but... I can't imagine it happens very often. So it's pretty impressive how often they're getting to the free throw line. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's been, it's been one of the best races in the league. So, All right, so next one, Omari, you first. Uh, Sheed or Sham, per basketball reference, Jaden Ivey has had his shot blocked the most on the team. Does, does basketball reference really have this stat? They did. I found it. It was hidden somewhere, but I got there. I'm going to go Sham. Sheed. It's Sheed. Ooh, yes. Okay. He gets a he gets a shot blocked a lot. Do, do you happen to have the list? Like, do you do you, do you have it written down? Who was next? I got the top three. So okay. Ivy was at twenty three shot attempts that were blocked. Boyan was second. He had eighteen, and then Cade third with sixteen. So here's the thing. So Cade's missed the last well before the Cade's game five. So I think Cade was probably on track to lead that, but he's missed time. So that would probably yeah put back a little. So twenty three is. That's more than one per game he's yeah. getting his shot blocked. And like you said, Cade probably, if it's per game, is probably more. How many did you say Cade was? 16. Yeah, so probably per game right around the same, I probably guess. Probably about the same, yeah. So I, that that would be a really interesting stat. You're going to have to text me how I can get to that because I want to just go look throughout the league and see kind of what the averages are for other teams. Definitely. Yeah, I'll text you it after this. Um, okay, so next one, Bryce, uh, you are up. Sheed or Sham, 
Sadiq Bey is ninth in the NBA in free throw percentage. Sheen, because I feel like he hadn't missed one for a long time. Well, I want to say Sheed, but I feel like I should go Sham just to keep it spicy so that we have a winner and a loser every single round. Uh, at the same time, I don't. there's no way I'd be able to – like I can't say I've looked at the, the league leaders for free throw percentage this season, so I wouldn't know anyway. Uh, you said Sheed? Yeah. I'm just going to go Sham. It's Sheed. Yeah, yes. I figured. What's his pretty, just what a is touch it? under 92. Uh, next one up, so Amari, this is you and – a little score update, Bryce. You've got two. Amar, you got one. We have three questions left. I so gotta get one. I'm, I'm down three to zero right now. Now I, I feel yeah. like since we're sitting here in person, we're gonna purposely go against each other every single round just oh. to make things a little more interesting. Bryce, you don't have to get one. But it's okay. No, I do have to. I do have to get one. No, Supper's not gonna be very much fun tonight if I lose <laughs> three three rounds or three points tonight, and I'm down four to zero. Huh? I may not even go. I'll just <laughs> go back to Kansas. All right, well, Omar, you get all the power because you're answering this first. So Isaiah Livers has the highest percentage of his two-point field goal attempts assisted on the team, <laughs> on the Pistons. Very specific, this one. The highest percentage of his two-point field goals assisted. Yeah, this is one of the ones where it's yeah. like – it's so specific. It makes me want to say she. But at the same time, you have Isaiah, who I would think has had a lot of his baskets assisted. But it's higher percentage. It's not the most. It's just like overall percentage of their of their field goal uh, field goal makes or field goal attempts. Um, well, it, attempts. Would, it would be okay. Oh, no, makes. Sorry, well, it, it makes. Would, makes. Yeah, it would, yeah, it would be. Well, it has to be makes because it's an assist. You can't assist on this. <laughs> Good point, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. Um, uh, my gut says she. My mind says Sham. I'm just gonna trust my gut and say she. Dang it! No, I wanted Sham. I think it's Jalen Duren. It's Sham. It's, it's Marvin Sham? Bagley. He's first. Yeah, it's really? Sham. Okay, so I, 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 do you have the percentages? So Bagley was 87 and a half, and then Livers was actually second, 83 and a third. What is Duren's? I only grabbed the top two. You I have to go back and look. You don't think Dur- you didn't think Duran would have the most assisted? Like how many times is he getting a bucket without an assist? Oh, well, offensive rebounds, offensive rebounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what I was looking for Duran. I was like, yeah. I mean, if it's a lob, yeah. But I would guess he's probably had more off of offensive rebounds. Well, yeah, because he, he, like yeah. you said earlier, he's crushing on the offensive board. Yeah. So those take away that. That's going to change the percentage. Yeah. So that's why I could actually see it being Livers. Not that Livers even takes that many attempts inside yeah. the arc. He's just not creating on his own. But, like, if he is, it's probably because he cut, yep. you know, or it was, like, you know, fast break or something like that. So it was – that was a West special right there. It was, like <laughs> – it was conceivably true, but it, it made me think too hard. Livers isn't creating on his own. He's not getting a ton of offensive boards. Yeah. I, I would assume Livers might have the highest over – like, even – because most of his three-point makes are going to be assisted as well. I mean, I, I know most of the teams is, but I would assume his are, you know, higher than just about anybody. So – all right, what, what is it? Two two now? No, three, three I, one. I think you're up three one. So I'd have to get the next two to tie. You feel the pressure? Yeah, and there are exactly two left. So we pressure. gotta avoid the tie. We keep doing ties. We can't do more ties. All right, Bryce, you first. This is the next one. Sheed or Sham? The Detroit Pistons are last in the league in offensive rebounds allowed per game. Sham. You said that confidently. The, uh, you said they're last in the league in offensive rebounds allowed. Yes, per game. 
Oh, shit. Per game. Wait, does that mean they're allowing the most offensive rebounds? Yeah. Well, yeah. they're not allowing the least. We know that. They're not allowing the least. No. <laughs> they're not allowing the least. Um, last in the league would be allowing the most. Yeah. yeah. To be clear. So yes. they are allowing the most offensive rebounds. That's what he said. Which means that they're not hitting the defensive glass. I uh, said Sham, right? Is that, did I say Sham? Yes. That's what I wanted you to did. say. Very con- You have to say Sheet. If you say Sham, I win. That's because Wes didn't give us enough questions. <laughs> <laughs> we can make some up on the spot. All right, she, she is sham. They're second right? to last. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're second to last. This isn't fair. I just did an article the other day where I looked this stat up. So I know uh, specifically where they rank. Now, the only thing was the stat I used for the article was per 100 possessions. But I had looked up per game also. So I knew exactly where they were because I was looking up some of their Overall defensive rating, points against, and how many offensive rebounds they've given up. So that's a dub. We're still going to do the last question, but that's a dub. That is a dub. That is a dub. Let's go. I'm glad I don't have to make one up. Hey, it's three to one, right? So this is going to be Amari, the Golden State Warriors. Four? Yeah. No, three, right? No, the, the overall. Yes. It'll be three to one after this. Yeah. Come back. All right. We got to start having more shooters. Sham. Right. All right, Omari, last one. Sheed or Sham, of Alec Burks' made three-point attempts, over 66% of them are unassisted. Of his made I went down the rabbit hole. Of his made three-point attempts, <laughs> over 66% were unassisted. Yeah, so he's ISOing and hitting a bunch of threes, and that's don't the majority of his question to him. point Maybe he figure it out on his own. No, I don't, yeah, no, I it, it doesn't matter. He's already it. lost. <laughs> Sham. Sheed. It's Sheed. Wow. What? I worked you today. This was this was rigged. Wow. Well, you, you just said we're it can't be rigged because we're in the same now. room. Yeah. yeah, now Amari's upset. Yeah, but Bryce has his phone on the table and I seen him check it. I My looked once and it was for you to move the mic closer to you. <laughs> Wes, hey, we got a few minutes oh, here, man. man. I, I feel like you never get a chance to talk about the Pistons. So you've been essentially a lifelong fan, right? Like where where are you at right now with yeah. this team? Just generally, I mean, the Cade injury hurts. What's your frustration level? What's your excitement level to watch the team night in, night out? Well, I've watched much worse Pistons basketball than what we're going to be getting now. So I'm still excited to go watch them uh, any chance every time they're on. But frustration with the injuries, yes. Not, nothing outside of that. It's just some bum luck. Mari, you got anything else before we go eat? I will return and see the show. This is a minor comeback. You will for, return. This, this is a minor a minor setback for a major comeback. So I'm just going to tease that right now. Like, it's like that that in the MCU movie. It's like what Black Panther will return. Mario Sanko for the second will return. He what will, is MCU? He will re, he will reclaim his, his uh, crown. What's Don't MCU? do that, Bryce. Don't do that, Bryce. It's, 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 the, it's the, uh, the series of movies that Angela Bassett. Bassett <laughs> um, okay, so a, you know what's funny? What like, was a part of? I really didn't know who that was. You know who Angela Bassett was? I don't know who anybody is. Do you know? Uh, I kind of who Denzel is. No, okay, all right, okay. Um, you redeemed yourself. I'm trying to think of like anybody Samuel else. Jackson. Yeah, no, Samuel Jackson. You probably haven't seen the Angela Bassett movie. She's been in like a, a lot of movies. So the only move movie I even recognized was How Stella Got Her Groove Back, but I've actually never watched it. I just oh, know yeah. the name of it. Okay. Is it a good movie? I haven't seen that either. <laughs> all right, well, I just want the people to know that me and Bryce are going to get dinner, and I'm going to try Supper. to take him dinner. And I'm going to try to take him to a restaurant that's got, uh, you know, some uniqueness to it. No. So, Every you know, restaurant has something all together on the plate. 
No, absolutely yeah. not. And we're not going to put chips on a sandwich. No, we're not doing that. No, we're oh, not doing that. Back up. Don't no, do that, that at the end of the episode, Bryce. Here's the thing. Everybody thinks this is a bit about Angela Bassett and all this other. Like, it's not. It is a bit, but it's, it's also not a real. What, what is, how's it a bit? It's true. It can be true and a bit. Are you sure? Yeah. I thought a bit was like you lean into it for the sake of entertainment. You are. Like, it's still true, but you're leaning into it for the sake of entertainment. Like, because it's true, I but it's actually interact with it and I could just yeah. not say anything. Even like, Aunt Jeanette was mad. Aunt Jeanette liked the but tweet. No, I'm not, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying, like, it is a bit. Like, it's true, but it's a bit. Like, I'm, like I don't think a bit has to be, like, a fake thing. We can talk about it over supper. Right, we'll talk about it over, over dinner. Wes, appreciate you. Omari, my guy, take it away. All right. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will hopefully have some Kate updates and, you know, the whole nine this time next week. So uh, definitely a big week for the team. Uh, shout out to our editor, Carrie Jr. II, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also shout out Wes. We'll talk to you all next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.